This episode of 100 Latina Birthdays discusses suicide and suicidal ideation. If this subject is uncomfortable for you, please listen with a friend, listen when you feel ready, or skip to the next episode in our series. As always, take care of you. This is 100 Latina Birthdays, an original open source podcast from LWC Studios about the health, wellness, and lifetime outcomes of Latinas in the U.S. and their impact on the health of the country's economy. Our narrative series was reported in the greater Chicago area, but our findings have national implications. In this first season, we will chronicle the lives of Latina women and girls in the first two decades, from birth to age 20. I'm Brenda Ardoñez, a second-generation Mexican-American journalist born and raised in Chicago. I'm the youngest of four and am passionate about reporting stories from underserved communities. In this episode of 100 Latina Birthdays, we're going to meet the Urbinas, a Mexican-American family living in a small village just outside of Chicago known as Wonder Lake. The Urbinas moved here from the neighboring town of Woodstock, where the movie Groundhog Day was filmed. The Urbinas loved Woodstock, but they wanted to trade in their apartment for a house for their growing family. They moved to the less expensive Wonder Lake in 2018, settling in a quaint two-story home. The small community is shrouded in greenery and smells of damp moss. Miguel and Adriana Urbina depend heavily on their eldest daughter, 17-year-old Dariana Urbina. She helps run her household and watches her two brothers and sister. It's like sharing custody, but not sharing custody, because that's not how you say it. But like, you know, sharing that um, things to do around the house, like we split it in half and we do, we help out each other. Dariana has three younger siblings. My brother, Angel, who's 14. Hola, hi. My other brother, Danilo, who's six. Hi. And my sister, Mariana, who's three. They're a lot sometimes. On the outside, Dariana looks like an average teenager. She has thick, black, shiny curls that reach just past her shoulders. She has deep, dark brown eyes that make her caramel skin glow bright. She loves going to school, playing soccer, and most of all... Going shopping. I usually buy things that, like, either for my siblings or even like a little bit for me, but mostly for them. Mentally, Dariana is not an average teenager. She cooks elaborate meals, cleans the house, nurtures her young siblings, budgets her family's finances, and translates legal and medical documents for her parents. In many ways, and for many years now, Dariana has been a parentified or adultified child. In our community, we tend to adultify children, particularly young girls, when we are asking them to do things that adults are supposed to be doing. I am Pamela Fullerton. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor here in Chicago, Illinois. I own a private practice called Advocacy and Education Consulting, where we support individual therapy, group therapy, family therapy, couples therapy. And I also run uh, therapy groups for Black and Latina adolescent girls. Pamela's mental health practice is located on the outskirts of Chicago. 
Her office is cozy with eggshell-colored walls and wooden paneling. It feels intimate and peaceful. The only sound inside the room is the hum of a white noise machine that she strategically places outside of her office during appointments to ensure the privacy of those conversations. Pamela says young Latinas like Dariana may experience forced adultification more often due to their family's socioeconomic status. According to Pew Research, the median household income for Latinos in 2021 was $59,000 a year. It was over $70,000 across all demographics. When you're highly stressed because you're living in a cycle of poverty, which many immigrants and many Latinos are, we're, we're one of the most impoverished racial ethnic groups in the United States, we know that that causes stress on the family unit. The effect that we see is that our parents are working and the kids are at home kind of raising themselves. Research suggests that impoverished families have a higher chance of adultifying children due to the precariousness of their lives. Pew Research found that in 2021, 18% of Hispanics in the U.S. lived in poverty, compared to 13% of all Americans. Data from the National Library of Medicine shows that poverty rates among Hispanic children are disproportionately high, particularly among first- and second-generation children with two foreign-born parents like Tariana's. Both of my parents are from Mexico and Michoacán, and I was born here in the U.S. in Woodstock, Illinois. Child poverty in the U.S. has increased since the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at Columbia University, or CWLA, the monthly child poverty rate increased from 12 to 17 percent between December 2021 and January 2022. Latino and Black children experienced the largest point increase, 7.1 and 5.9 percentage points respectively. Center of Poverty attributes this to the expiration of the monthly child tax credit at the end of 2021. These were part of the American Rescue Plan Act and gave families between $250 and $300 per child per month. But for Latinos especially, some experts believe there are other risk factors that contribute to poverty. According to a study conducted by the Migration Policy Institute, Poverty is correlated with lower levels of formal education among all immigrant parents. This is true for Miguel and Adriana Urbina. He never finished school. He only made it till his freshman year in high school. And on my mom's side, she was over there till she was about 17 in Mexico. Um, since a young age, she always worked. It was all about the working style, working life. I think she only got to like elementary school. She, she didn't even make it to middle school. Lower educational attainment has been linked to long-term job insecurity and low earnings that can impact everyone in the household. According to the Illinois Department of Employment Security, people with less than a high school diploma had the highest rate of unemployment compared to individuals who had their high school diploma or a college degree. In 2022, workers without a high school diploma also earned 25% less than those with one per the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
Miguel Dariana's father works at the nearby Durowax company, packaging, cleaning supplies, and polishing floors. Adriana, her mother, took a break from working a few years ago when their family began receiving government assistance, but she works for a cleaning company now. They work opposite schedules. Miguel in the morning, Adriana in the evening. Right now it's difficult. We're starting to realize that we don't have the same communication. If I want to tell her something, I have to send her a text or call her on the phone. So I can say that household duties are not easy. It's a job that must be done every day for the well-being of our kids. So Miguel and Adriana rely on their eldest daughter to fill in where they fall short. Adriana began sharing adult responsibilities when she was in elementary school. She was tasked with caring for her only brother at the time, Angel, while her parents worked. My mom would always be like, take care of your brother, que se porte bien, and everything. And I was like, okay. Like, like I was getting annoyed by it because I was like, okay, I'm in third grade, fourth grade, and I, I have school. I want to have fun, you know. Tariana began feeling pressures that are not typically experienced at such a young age. I've always been treated as an adult. I've had a childhood, but it's not saying that you've had a childhood with toys and having a childhood with going on playgrounds or, you know, it would always be like, oh, help me on this or how do you get into this, especially online. Tariana also taught her mom Adriana English. She still struggles with the new language always on doctor or medical records or anything that was in English, I would always have to fill it out for her. So, you know, maybe my knowledge from that is like all of the pressure that I've been learning of reading all of these things, reading all the papers and documents that they've given me is like building up of all of these things that I know and it doesn't fit in my brain. <laughs> I've always, you know, been the big sister. Like I would always have to be my best because my parents would always have that title on me of like, oh, you're like a second mom, or like, oh, you're you're a big sister. Like, you have to, like, be that role. And I was like, okay. And, like, I didn't know any better. Like, I just wanted to make them proud, you know? Part of what contributes to this teen's adultification is how she appears on the outside, composed, mature. Here's her father. Since Dariana turned 15, I knew she was no longer a child. Actually, I knew much earlier because I watched her development and how she was learning things. So even though at the age of 13 or 14, her physical body wasn't fully developed, her mentality was no longer that of a young girl. It's a way of treating children that extends to other demographic groups, says Pamela. So adultified really came from some studies about um, Black and African-American urban youth, particularly girls, have found that societal stereotypes have shown that they make girls appear older than they are. So uh, Black and Latina girls tend to kind of look a little bit older, a little bit more mature, maybe their bodies are a little bit more developed. And so, as a reason, we start to treat them a little bit more like they're adults. Pamela says hypersexualizing these girls is part of adultification. It impacts them at home, but also in other spaces. We see that they have worse consequences in schools. 
they're not treated the same way as like a white girl, for example. So we see higher rates of like suspensions and expulsions in school, even though a white girl could do the same exact behavior and she would get a much lesser consequence because we see our black and Latina girls as being adultified, right? We see them as being older and therefore they should be getting more severe or older consequences. According to the advocacy organization Center for Policing Equity, Black children are often treated as adults by the age of 13. In the case of Latina girls who are adultified, there is a combination of factors contributing to how they are perceived and treated. What happens with some of our Latina girls who may be the older child in the family, where they're now responsible to be, as what some of my clients say, the second mother. And they are now responsible for their siblings and they have to cook for the household and they have to clean for the household and maybe even have to get a job and help pay bills for the household. And that's where we say I would tell my clients like that idea is being adultified. So even though you were 14, 15, 16 years old, you were acting like the adult in the household. And you were being put pressure on to be that way, even though developmentally you were still a child. Tatiana is heavily involved in managing her family's finances. As being a low-income family, EBT has helped a lot. We call it La Milagrosa (laughs) because every time we call the phone number on the card and it tells us how much there is, I'm like, oh my God, that's like a lot. Like $300 is a lot for us. According to the National Research Center on Hispanic Children and Families, more than 90% of Latino children were born in the U.S. This means they qualify for government aid like SNAP and TANF. SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, is the largest federal nutrition assistance program, providing resources for eligible, low-income individuals and families to buy food using EBT, or what was formerly known as food stamps. But eligibility and access can be tricky for families with mixed-status households. About one in four Latino children have at least one parent who is an unauthorized immigrant. Researchers from the Migration Policy Institute found that during the first three years of the Trump administration, participation in TANF, SNAP, and Medicaid declined twice as fast among non-citizens as citizens. According to the National Research Center on Hispanic Children and Families, Latino families are less likely than other ethnic groups to apply for some public assistance programs, even if they're eligible. In some instances, it could be due to a lack of information, like for Miguel and Adriana Urbina. She found out because of her other friends that were also low-income. She asked one of her friends, she was like, oh, like, we both work. Like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, we can't go out to eat. I can't take them to anywhere. Like, they're just sitting in the house and I can't do anything for them because we don't have that, like, money. So my mom's friend, she was like, you can go to City Hall and tell them that you need government help. After some financially difficult years, the Urbinas began receiving SNAP benefits. According to USDA data published in 2022, more than 4 million Latinos are eligible for SNAP, yet remain unenrolled. Being able to have that card is something that the government is so, like, I am so happy because of that. 
The Urbinas also receive additional food assistance through the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, better known as WIC. This USDA program is meant to service low-income, pregnant, postpartum, and breastfeeding women, infants, and children up to the age of five by providing nutritious food for their health. They give you the amount of the specific food items that you can grab. So we have like an app and it tells you, oh, you have $75 for fruits and vegetables. You have seven gallons of lactose milk or whatever milk that the child needs. According to Unidos US, in 2021, two out of five WIC participants were Latino. Tariana says without this help, they wouldn't have enough money for groceries. And childcare is definitely an expense they cannot afford. So, Tariana also watches her siblings. En su rol aquí en la casa, para mí es, es una gran ayuda porque... In her role in the house, for me, she's a huge help because she can contribute in a lot of ways, such as cleaning the house, caring for the kids, helping us to pay a bill or go to the store. So I see her as a second pair of hands for me and my wife and my other children. Tariana loves her family and has been aware of their financial difficulties for years. This has motivated her to lean into these adult roles without hesitation. Being a parentified child like Tariana may have an immeasurable impact on the growth and development of Latina teens. Here's Pamela. Nothing in our field is a cause-effect, right? So it's not like X causes Y in mental health, there's no cause. It's just like more so an association. So something could contribute to some issues. Pamela says the adultification of Latinas puts a lot of pressure on them and can cause conflict in the family. What we see happening, well, what the research is showing us is that Latina girls specifically, when they have high levels of family stress, Family stress caused by these kinds of things where the girl feels like you put me in a position of being an adult and then you want to restrict me or reprimand me like I'm a child. And now there's conflict in that, right? That's where we see the highest levels of depression and anxiety amongst Latina girls is when that family unit is in distress because of those differences. According to research on the adultification of youths experiencing homelessness, published in the Children and Youth Services Review, youth who are adultified run a greater risk of developing elevated levels of stress and mental strain as they try to cope with more responsibility. Tariana felt these added responsibilities and mounting pressures, reaching a breaking point at the age of 13. I did get really depressed and Parents don't know what depression is, especially Hispanics and people that come from over there. As a result, she says her parents didn't always give her useful advice. They're like, oh, with depression, se quita con una chinga, right? Which roughly translates to getting punished to take away the depression. This is not an uncommon reaction from Latinos. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the stigma around mental health in the Latino community can lead to a shortage of information and symptoms not being recognized or addressed. Sometimes we don't realize what's happening with our kids or what they have until it gets to that moment of them feeling depressed. In reality, I don't know what depression is. 
In my childhood home, we never talked about it. Depression for us was always a scolding or getting spanked with a chancla. Researchers for the Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York found that Latinos, and Latino children in particular, underutilize mental health resources due to stigma, lack of knowledge, fear, and financial barriers, such as not having health insurance. With depression comes all of these thoughts. And the thoughts that I had were not very good thoughts. They were thoughts of like harming myself or like those dumb thoughts, suicidal thoughts. I was like, how can I be feeling like this? Like, how am I thinking, like, pensando like this? Like, I can't believe I'm thinking like that. How can I ever end my life when I, I live great, you know? And I was tricking my brain into thinking that I was fine. Tariana says she couldn't sustain a sense of everything is fine for very long. I was in school. And I was like, you know, I'm done. And I went to the bathroom and I just sat in the bathroom. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I started having this panic attack. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, what should I do? Like, should I, should I end it? Or sh should I just like let it be? Or, you know, I, all of these thoughts, all of this emotion started running into my head and I didn't. I really didn't know. I was just gone. I was like, I I don't know. Tariana says she doesn't know how she overcame those intense thoughts in that bathroom stall. All she knows is... The minute that it was over, I was like, okay, like, let's go back. That never happened. That was just, you know, something dumb. It never happened. Tariana went back to class and says she didn't tell her parents until months later. They were so mad. They were like, how can you be thinking like that? And instead of helping you, they were just making it worse. They were like, I don't know what it is if other families have that too. But I'm sure that if I was another race or if I was came from another place, they would be helping me. They would be like, oh, like, I'll help you. But they were just like, oh, like, si quieres, le llama la policía que te lleve. Or like, oh, like, if you want, like, I'll send you into a mental institution. Like, what is wrong with you? And I was just getting all of this, like, like, darn, like, what is going, like, help me. I'm telling you because I want you to help me. I'm not telling you so I can get more backlash and what, what I'm thinking of. And that was just a moment where I was like, really? Like, my parents can't help me? Miguel and Adriana's initial response may have not helped her in the moment, but her candidness pushed her parents to learn more about the importance of mental health. Sharing that did help because my mom, you know, she never realized what depression was. She never realized what anxiety was. But she searched up depression. She searched up what anxiety was, what it felt like. And she was like, my daughter has all of these things. Like, she she has mood swings. She doesn't want to do anything. She's lacking in school. And I feel like she was like, oh, like, I have to reach out. A study by researchers from Duke and Indiana universities found that Latina adolescents run a higher risk of developing depressive symptoms, yet are less likely to receive mental health care than their non-Latina white peers. Without care, these mental health issues can have deadly consequences. 
The American Psychiatric Association reported that in 2019, one in six or 20% of Latino high school students reported having serious thoughts of suicide, including nearly one in four or 23% of Latina teens. One in four children in the United States are Latino, which is a huge population. And of that, more of them are female than there are male, right? So we know that this is, this really is a public health concern that we're not prioritizing. And that's just sheer based on numbers, the amount of Latinas that there are in this country right now. We need to be prioritizing the fact that we are seeing higher rates of suicide attempts, higher rates of depression, higher rates of anxiety amongst this population. When Dariana is in her mid-40s, one in four women in the U.S. will be Latina just like her. The support Dariana gets now, as she's about to turn 18, could define the job she has when she's an adult, and how capable she'll be of supporting herself, her health, and her own family. According to Pamela, anxiety and depression can stem from various things like the roles a person is given, whether that's from their birth order or from their gender. These adult-like roles can make children feel overwhelmed and inadequate, leading them to have negative feelings about themselves. When we start to put adult things onto children, like we, we need you to help care for your younger siblings, you're teaching them, this is what your role is going to be. What if I don't want that role? What if I'm constantly being told I need to be a mother and a wife and a caretaker, but maybe I'm not good at it? Then that starts to influence the way I feel about myself. What if I do it and it hinders my ability to do things I really want to do? Then that starts to have an impact on the way that I see myself and my self-worth and my self-esteem. Pamela says her clients feel the ramifications of these imposed roles even when they're older. What we're seeing many women experience now is, what if I have an issue with infertility? Am I less than because I can't have children or don't want children? And again, the narrative is now they're not worth enough. Now they're less than because they can't fulfill these duties that were put onto us as children. Like Dariana's panic attack in the bathroom, this pressure and negative self-talk can have dire long-term consequences that hit on our self-esteem, that anxiety that comes from thinking you're not good enough, so you're constantly then overworking, overcompensating, burning yourself out, that's what those things can really lead to. According to an article published in Psych Central, it is common that children in these parentified roles never speak out about the pressures that come with managing these responsibilities. They learn to believe they are independent and don't need to ask for help. Because of the pressures, I didn't really say anything. (laughs) I didn't think of that being a big deal. Because like I said, do it yourself. You can do it. Like, I don't need to talk to anybody. And having that pressure at home, I was like, people get hit. People get abused. Like, this, I'm just getting screamed at, like, that's nothing. Or I'm just being told to take care of my siblings. And I was like, that's no big deal. Like, I can deal with that. And my mindset, especially right now, as I get older, I was like, this is nothing. Like, people have way bigger problems. The world has way bigger problems. And mine is just like 
a little piece of the world. And that wasn't a big deal for me. According to the Calda Clinic based in Switzerland, suppressing emotions is linked to physical and psychological effects, like becoming more aggressive or engaging in substance and alcohol abuse. Tariana says she stopped seeing her therapist two months after her first visit. It took me a while to deal with my stress and to learn how to deal with my stress. Suppressing her emotions became taxing, so she says she found another outlet. The coping things that I used was just, like, go outside and sit. Just go outside and, like, get rid of all the noises, get rid of the yelling of my siblings, get just everything. Like, listen to every noise that was surrounding in nature, and it was really nice, and I think that really helped me deal with my stress. The Urbinas say they feel an immense amount of gratitude for Dariana's strength in assuming the role of a second mother. And like many Latino families, Dariana's parents spent years looking forward to one important expression of their love and gratitude, her quinceañera. Having a quince was always something that I had, you know, stored. And I would always be so excited to, like, plan my quince, you know, have that color of the dress I wanted and everything. There was just one huge obstacle. Tariana turned 15 in December 2020, nine months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Once the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, no, like, where's my quince going to go? Am I still having a party? Am I still going to have that party that my parents wanted? And just like the process of understanding that I couldn't have a party, I couldn't have the dress of my dreams was just something that fell on us and not just on me, but like on my whole family, because it's a big deal for us Hispanos. Quinceañeras is a big deal. Over 400,000 quinceañeras happen every year in the U.S., according to Forbes. It's a traditional religious and cultural celebration meant to mark a Latina's passage from girlhood to womanhood. There's usually a special mass followed by an elaborate party with plenty of food, music, and guests. The quinceañera and her damas and chambelanes, the girls and boys in her court, prepare choreographed dances that hold different meanings. Most of them revolve around the young teen transitioning into a new phase of her life. And while the way the party is celebrated has evolved over the years, its significance and importance within the Latino culture remains largely the same. Tariana planned everything for her quince. I was knowing who my padrinos, my godparents were gonna be, who was gonna give me my flowers, where I was gonna get my dress from. Everything was planned. I was planning everything. But then I heard that we were on lockdown and I was like, is this gonna last this winter break? Is it gonna be more than a month? So just the thought of not being able to keep going, it was just a disaster. Like everything, our, my plan, their plan was all completely just a fail. Not wanting to completely miss the chance to give Dariana some part of the traditional birthday, the Urbinas adapted. Instead of, you know, having a big party and everything, my mom obviously still wanted me to have a little birthday celebration. 
And us being a religious family, I really wanted my mask. So my mom was like, let's go to the mall or let's go where they sell quince dresses and let's go pick one out. Quince dresses can be expensive, ranging anywhere between $200 to $1,000. It's an expense many Latinos are willing to make since the dress is one of the most important parts of the celebration. From picking the fabric and color to choosing the design and neckline, each quince dress is one of a kind and tailored to reflect the quinceañera's personality. My dress was pink, and my mom's dress was pink also. It had lacing at the bottom. It had gems around the chest, and there was, you know, off-the-shoulder sleeves. Even with, like, the camera, if you put the flash on, it would bling everywhere. But while each dress is created special for its quinceañera, there's one thing they all have in common. It was a poofy, like a normal quinceañera dress, but it was less poofy than other ones. When I walked, you can't see my feet because it had, like, the things surrounding it, so it would make it even more poofier. And I also dressed them with some nice covers. I loved my dress. And even though it wasn't my exact dream dress, it was still a dress that my mom picked out. When she saw my dress, she was like, this one looks like mine. And I was so happy for her for that because me being the firstborn and all, she totally loved it. What Tariana didn't know is that her family had planned a surprise for her mini quince. We did my mass, and when we came back from the mass, they, like, blindfolded me, so, like, I wouldn't see, and I'm like, where are we going? But then we got to my house, and I'm like, okay, so they blinded me for nothing just to get to my house, but then I saw that car started lining up in front of my house, and I'm like, whoa, like, uh, it was a small party. There wasn't going to be this many people because of COVID and the regulations, and then the first car drove up, And they're like, happy birthday, happy quince day. And I was like, oh, and then they're handing me these presents. And a lot of people, like, they almost closed down the street. We had, like, the normal celebrations that a quince would have, just, like, a smaller, smaller version than that. But I feel like it was way more special and more you know, a conserving moment because all of my family was there and having that relationships with my family, having that bonding moment with them, especially on my quince day, was a bonding moment for everyone and not just me. According to Chicana and Latino studies scholars, a traditional quince is also another way gender norms are reinforced. As the quinceañera celebrates the end of her childhood, she symbolically transitions into womanhood, fulfilling the expectations that come with that. When we think about traditional, you know, Latinx households, there's very um, distinct gender roles, right? Where the woman is expected to learn how to cook, right? To be responsible for any household chores. And the men is seen as, you know, the boys are seen as providers. And so they tend to, you know, work and do more of like physical labor. Marilyn Rodriguez is a bilingual psychotherapist and community liaison at Latinx Talk Therapy in Chicago. 
I think that a lot of it comes from just the the lack of exposure, education, right? For a lot of immigrant families, they're shielded to what they know, right? And what they know comes from like generational, right? Experiences and what their lives were in their hometowns. And without exposure and education, Marilyn says gender norms in Latino households will continue to be passed down. You learn from what you're modeled. And so if you see your mom, you know, in the house, cooking, cleaning, right, then that's also what you're going to perform. Those gender roles is something that I wish would like less enough in my household. For Dariana, she says she sees gender roles play out in her family in the way her dad treats his sons differently than he treats her. He always loved me. He would always, you know, treat me well. But then when my brother came along, he started like playing soccer with him. You know, all of these gender sports, like girls dance, girls do cheerleading, girls clean, girls cook. And having that affirmity of having those gender roles there. And I would always get jealous because I'm like, how is he playing with my brother? Like, I want to play too. Like, I want to play soccer. I want to play video games. But he didn't have that same bonding experience that my brother had. And he would always like, oh, like, go help your mom or go, go shopping with her or go do something with her. Machismo in Latino culture characterizes the female role in the family as caretaker. So unlike her younger brothers, Dariana was taught how to cook and care for children at a young age. Coming from a household where gender roles are really strict of how the male sits down, waits for his plates, the female cooks and cleans, you know, brings his plate to the table, serves him water. But Dariana says this bothered her. So she slowly pushed her family to discard the more archaic norms. I've showed them, I've taught them how in our generation right now, it's not a lot of that. For Pamela, compromise among family members is important for the mental health of the Latina girl and also the family dynamic. I'd love to see compromise happen in families. You know, like, fine, your kid may need to work, in order for you guys to survive as a family. I'm not going to shame you for that. That may be what your family needs to do. Can you give the kid something to be a kid still? Can you let them have one day a week where they can socialize and be with friends, join a club, do no kind of quote-unquote normal kid things? Because they're still growing up in American society. And if they don't have a piece of what it's like to grow up that way, they're going to feel very conflicted. And that's going to cause some kind of stress in the household. For Latinas and Latinos who are experiencing mental health issues like depression or anxiety and may be unsure about how to get help, TherapyForLatinx.com has an online directory of therapists in each major city around the country, including those who offer sliding scale fees. Mental Health America provides resources in Spanish if you search for mhanational.org backslash recursos en español. For immediate care, call or text 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The caretaking child of the family. Be gentle on yourself. You have a lot of responsibility on you, 
And you're an amazing individual for taking that responsibility on. So be careful about putting extra pressure on yourself. Be careful about always feeling the need to achieve, to achieve more, to work harder than anybody else. You don't always have to do that. Find times where you can just be you. Times where you can have fun and laugh and play and find people in your life who are also willing to take care of you because you deserve it just as much as you're giving out. When therapy may not be an option and when communication between the kids and the parents may be severed, Pamela believes there are still ways an adultified child can find some relief. As a child, they may not be able to establish a boundary. They may not be able to extract themselves from what's happening within their household, their children, right? They may not have an opportunity to do any of that. So what can they do? Well, even a small amount of choice is maybe enough to sustain. What can you choose? You can choose how well you succeed in school. You can choose friends, really good friends that can help support you. You can choose to have relationships with teachers and mentors that may be able to help you as you get older, when you finally get a chance to get outside of that house. You can choose to make good decisions now that will help set you up for a much better, more successful future. For Dariana, she's on the brink of a major choice for her future, where to continue her education. I want to go to Illinois State, which is my first option, or NIU, which is my second option. Dariana is planning to leave home to attend a four-year university in the fall of 2024. NIU is a public university located just over an hour drive from Dariana's hometown while Illinois State University is over two hours and known for its education program. And what I want is just going on and just teaching. I was planning, and I still am planning, um, teaching seventh grade dual language, especially literature in Spanish, teaching for three years in seventh grade, but then moving up to high school and hopefully becoming an actual college professor. Dariana would be the first person in her family to go to college. And her parents say they couldn't be more proud. According to Excelencia in Education, about 44% of Latinos are first-generation college students, the highest among all demographic groups. I am very happy that she is going to college because I never went. I have siblings that graduated, but I didn't. I'm so proud that my daughter is going to go to a university and graduate and that all her dreams will come true. And of course, she will have all her support so that she can go study what she sets her mind to and that she will be able to accomplish all of her goals. But Tariana leaving for college would mean a big transition for the Urbina family. Her parents decided that this new beginning warranted a celebration. Pues sí, por una parte, pues... Well, yeah, if we weren't planning this for her 18th birthday, I could tell you I'd feel bad because we didn't give her a quince. And now that we're planning it, we're like, why not? Time flies, but it's never too late to have a celebration. 
For her 18th birthday in December 2023, Dariana's family is planning a quinceanera 2.0. After the pandemic and everything happened, my mom decided and I decided that I wanted to still have a 18, but instead of being 18, it would be like another quince. Right now, we are in the process of finding music for it. And in my family, it's really important to have music, especially live music like banda or grupos. She's going all out this time. My dress is going to be a really dark navy blue. I love navy blue just because it represents so many things in nature. When you see blue, you think of the sky or you think of the ocean. You think of so many things. And blue has always been my color. So <laughs> that's something that I, I'm really excited about. Tarena says she feels a little stressed out about it. A quinceanera can cost a lot of money, anywhere from $5,000 to $20,000, depending on the venue and number of guests. I saw my mom getting tired and tired of more days that she's been working, especially right now. And I was like, you should stop working. And she's like, no, like, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it because I want you to have your birthday. And I feel like the pressure of being a role model for my siblings is, like, really hard right now. I come back from school. I don't have time to really do my homework because I have to be taking care of them. But while she's feeling the stress of financing the party and taking on more of the child care, Tariana says she's also excited. I feel bad because I'm like, wow, like I pressured them into having an eight, me having an 18. But then I give credit to myself a little bit because I'm like, I feel like I deserve it. Everything that I do. And I've lived 18 years, especially with all of these thoughts that I've had in the past and all of these depression and anxiety. Like I made it through 18 years and I'm proud of that. Miguel and Adriana say they are proud of her, too. They are working hard to make this party happen, in part to honor their traditions and customs, but also to bid Tariana a farewell and thank her for her role in the family all these years. I am very excited. I want to give her a party because she really deserves it. And what other way is there to thank your kids than with good things? Thank them just for the way that they behave with you. Just like they gave us, we need to give back to them. I love our family. I would never change my family for anything else. Without my parents, without those bad moments, bad experiences, I wouldn't know how to treat other people in the future. So I appreciate my parents. I appreciate everybody who has been there for me. I feel like all of these events, all of this craziness in my life has really helped me build who I am now. Tariana is a kind and compassionate leader who never shies away from taking charge and helping out. While her experience growing up affected her mental health, it also became a part of who she is, contributing to a rich and fulfilling life. One Hundred Latina Birthdays is an original production of LWC Studios. It is made possible by grants from the Healthy Communities Foundation, Woods Fund Chicago, the Field Foundation of Illinois, Pritzker Foundation, and the Chicago Foundation for Women. 
Mujeres Latinas en Acción is a series fiscal sponsor. Brenda Ordonez reported this episode. Chuleka Lantigua is the show's creator and executive producer. Paulina Velasco is the editor. Anne Lim is associate producer. Fact-checking by Fendel Fulton. Mixing by Samia Bouzid. And mixing and sound design by Kojin Tashiro, who is LWC Studios' lead producer. Michelle Baker is our photo editor. Amanda De Jesus is our marketing assistant. Theme music is Labradoodle from Blue Dot Sessions. Cover art by Reina Noriega. And special thanks to Marco Ordonez. For more information, resources, photos, and annotated transcript of this episode and a Spanish translation, visit 100latinabirthdays.com. That's the number 100, Latina Birthdays. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at 100 Latina Birthdays. 100 Latina Birthdays is an open source podcast. We encourage you to use our episodes and supporting materials in your classrooms, organizations, and anywhere they can make an impact. You may rebroadcast parts of or entire episodes without permission. Just please drop us a line so we can keep track. Thank you for listening. 